Hello, and welcome to episode seven of Into the Spotlight. I'm Morley. And I'm Ryan. And we actually had two guests planned for this week, but somehow by some chance alignment of the stars, we had scheduling hiccups with both of them, and you get another Morley and Ryan extravaganza. Uh, it's just, you know, that's just the problem with amateur podcast. You think you got one scheduled in and, you know, things always come up. As Then you think as, the other can take the first one's place and then neither exactly. of them work. You switch the episode you have, numbers three times. Exactly. It's like in hockey when you think you have the backup goalie and you always have to be changing them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I it's can't like really, we don't, with my we don't, we, I that as much. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay, but... Uh, for this episode, we've got a really good topic. I think it's one that almost all creators and artists, especially as they're just starting out, it's like an issue that a lot of us come up with, like trying to um, trying to navigate whether it's how we're trying to use our creativity and how we differentiate between imitation and inspiration and trying to find our own voice within that. Yeah, this is something that kind of popped into my head when I was I was biking today. And it's something I've been struggling a bit recently. So like, Ryan and I were both we're both young guys starting out our uh, finding our voice and uh, making our own stuff, and I feel like as a as a young creator, there's a certain amount of just like learning you have to put in. There's a certain amount of skill building, and with that comes like a bit of imitation. Like I see people who are very successful in my space, makers who are making incredible things, or artists, or furniture designers, or leather workers, and um regardless of what how you want to be you have to you have to do a certain amount of imitation i feel like maybe some people wouldn't call that maybe some people would just call it um like learning the basics um but i think many of us we want to be original we want to be as original as possible and i know that's something i want to be i'm always trying to invent and i like inventing um maybe like a trail mix holster, for example, so I can bike around and during the beginning of COVID and I can eat trail mix without touching it to my hands. Uh, That sounds like a very very specific need. I hope you actually made that. (laughs) Oh, I did. Yeah, I made a video. Oh, yes, you did make that. I forgot. (laughs) Yes, yes, you did. You did. I forgot. Yes. Because that sounds very specific. You must have made this. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's funny. But it's true. You're absolutely right when you say in regards to like, yeah, like everyone starts out because we always want that sort of like guiding light, especially when it's someone or something that we admire and we want not we don't want to like imitate their style, but there's something in the way that they create that that draws us to it. And we want to do it our, in our own way. And even then, mm-hmm. like, you know, because there's a big difference between imitation and just blatant plagiarism. Yeah. Plagiarism is just copying everything and having the same thing, but it it's not it's not yours. But if you can take elements or technique or style and put that through your own vision or your own voice or your own craft, you know, it's something new. Yeah, definitely. And sorry, I think there's, I think it's no matter what you do, there's going to be, you have to fall somewhere on the spectrum between doing your own stuff and taking influence from other people. I mean, you'll, you'll never escape finding influence from, from, um, artists more successful from you that came before you. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think I struggle with this. I'm, I feel like one of my struggles with this is that I always am trying to like push myself to make something new and something in a new way. And sometimes um, I just don't have the skills to do that or the ideas aren't really coming. So then I, I find myself kind of like hitting a roadblock and it's like, well, 
yeah, I could like do these other more like skill building or projects that are more similar than other people have done that are still, I, I would love to make like a, like a more classic looking wallet, for example, um, or just like a, a simple desk. Um, they just don't really like excite me as much. So I don't know. I think it's, it's something that I thought of recently, I think, because I've been kind of in between projects mm-hmm. and I always, I don't know if you find this, but I always find a, I feel a little weird when I'm going from one project and then transitioning to another. I'm not very good at it yet. <laughs> like I, I, I can usually be pretty good about having something lined up and having two or three things going at once and sliding from one into the other. But sometimes it just isn't jiving. Sometimes um, I maybe have like something that's pretty small or in the case of like this week, like I'm traveling next week. I'm going Mm -hmm. to the States to visit my family for my sister's wedding. And with that always in the back of my head, you know, it's like, I don't want to start something too early. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I feel like I, I, consistently underestimate my own productivity so it's the sort of thing where like i probably could have started something but i i gave myself such a buffer that i have this little awkward in between time yeah it's like not enough time to fully kind of realize it or a way to really like picture it and get finished in a way that you think you could get it done yeah i mean it's not enough time to be like fully inventive it is enough time to maybe like do a bit of a smaller skill building project yeah no, I understand that totally, especially when it comes to my writing. I've noticed that quite a bit because as I'm writing, because right now I'm doing like a long story treatment for something that will either be either a screenplay or a novel. Those are two very different forms. So as I'm doing the treatment, I'm going to figure it out as I go along. Hopefully by page 48, I think I will decide which route I'm going to go with it in. Okay. <laughs> but it's also but it's also a very specific specific type of genre story like and we know genre stories we see these all the time whether it's like you know the romance movie the western um you know the science fiction movie the horror movie like we know there are certain elements of those genres certain tropes that we associate with them and and sometimes it's hard to break convention from them but in many ways you kind of have to not necessarily like remake the wheel but find like to say something in a way that's new something that's perhaps unexpected something that is compelling and engaging and not the same old same old that we've seen a million times before mm-hmm. you know so like there's sometimes like 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 i'm watching movies and just or reading like screenplays i can find on the internet and i see something that that draws me into it that i'm inspired by it and makes me go oh i love this technique or how they shot this scene and, you know, and you try take that and try put in your own terms because filmmaking, like the whole history of filmmaking is almost like people seeing something, imitating it and putting it in their own style and and creating something brand new or recontextualizing like a scene or a moment or like you see that all the time, like especially with Quentin Tarantino's films, you see that like he takes elements of like cowboy films and kung fu movies and he puts it all in this blender and he creates things like Kill Bill, for example yeah you know and it's amazing but it's something new and something it's something coming from an original perspective which is nice because you can't you can't i learned this this is a um a lesson i learned from a very important screenwriting professor i had where he said that like there is no such thing as an original story anymore because we've seen all like it's hard to like there isn't going to be like a new genre story necessarily that pops up but how you take those components from the whole um, spectrum of storytelling, you can create something new in a new perspective. 
Mm-hmm. You know, for example, like think of like, you know, the boxing movie, you know, where it's like, you know, the old coach and the young guy and the Rocky, you know, um, <laughs> caricature, you know, yeah. like, for example, what instead of having the coach as old, what if he was like young or the same age or you just reverse it, you know, something like that. That's different. That's new. Yeah. You know, so it's always about taking elements and, you know, like you could talk about this all day. There's so many things to pick and choose from, but it's always about how can you do something in a way that's new and engaging that someone may not have quite seen yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where sometimes I, I get a little caught is I try to be a little, but I, and this is like even the pre pre planning stage. Like I'm trying to think of like something totally out of the blue rather than simplify it down a little bit and think of like, Oh, that's something I'm interested in. And let's just tweak it in one small way and then go from there. Right. Which is a much more realistic way of approaching projects. Yeah. And do you get that a lot? Because I noticed that because when I was making a certain video for a certain YouTuber that I'm pretty sure our our audience will (laughs) find out later on, but I found it was interesting that because I haven't filmed something in a while, I just realized like you have some of that, some of those challenges where you where you plan something in advance. And then when it comes to practically making it in the moment, do you find there's like is there like a big discrepancy? Not a big discrepancy, but there are there's some things that where you visualize and like you have to, as you're making it, you have to adjust in a certain way when you're doing your videos. Because that happens a lot with me when I make my stuff, whether it's like a music video or a short documentary. There are a lot of things and, you know, it's like Murphy's Law. You always got to prepare for whatever's going to be thrown at you, but you always have to be prepared to adjust from what your initial plan was so you can adapt to just whatever the reality is. Whether it's like, oh, the lighting from this window is... The sun's on the opposite side, so that's not very good anymore. We have to adjust. We have to find a lamp. We have to try and make it look good. You know, stuff like that. Do you encounter a lot of things like that when you're making something? Like, oh, if I thought if I put put this together this way and, oh, wait, that doesn't work. I have to redo it. Does that happen Almost, Almost every single time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there and, you go, ladies and gentlemen. You have it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's because I think it's just how I work. Like, I don't, most of the time... I don't plan a project a hundred percent before I get started. Maybe I plan it like 50% or 60% depending on the thing, but it's like, yeah, I feel like that's something I've gotten better with it with experience. It's like, I know how much I have to plan before any given project. And I'm like, okay, I know, I feel very confident that at this point I can start. And there's a couple of things that I'm not quite sure of, but I can figure out how these two things attach or I can figure out, um, like a finish type to use or the colors to use together. Mm. Um, yeah, no, it happens all the time. And it definitely happens in the videos as well. It's like I have this this maybe like cinematic vision in my head and then I go through the footage and it's like, okay, it doesn't look quite as cinematic as I thought, but like I can work with this. I saw there's this great graphic. It might've been XKCD um, or an XKCD style comic. See if I can find it and put it in the show notes after uh, after we record. Sure. But it's like project perception over time. So it's at the beginning, you're like, you get this idea and you think, oh my God, this is the best idea in the world. And then you start, you're like, hmm, this is a little harder than I expected. Mm-hmm. And then you reach a certain point where you're like, oh my gosh, all hope is lost. This is horrible. And then towards the end, you come out somewhere in the middle where you're like, okay, this is okay. I can release this. You know, I feel like. I definitely go through that experience with making 
and then yeah. especially making videos about something where it's impossible to do any reshoots right because if you're filming making a physical object that object's made yeah you can't exactly go back and take it all apart <laughs> i yeah. just realized that's all you really could. like i just feel like that's kind of a uh, counterintuitive to the whole <laughs> the whole point of it all <laughs> kind of counterproductive rather yeah but yeah true. no it's it's all the time yeah it's uh it's it's coming out somewhere between um this is the most amazing idea i've ever had in my life and all hope is lost <laughs> the end product is always somewhere in between there oh my gosh it's funny but you're absolutely right i think it's good to like prepare maybe something like you said maybe like 50 percent of the way or 75 percent of the way but not fully because you still want to have that room where you can adjust where you can you know because things always happen it's good to have that so you know because if something's two cents stone and something comes up where you have to adjust and you can't you know you can't do that well then you're kind of stuck in a certain position yeah and, and i noticed that when i was making this video for this very good friend of mine who made me this awesome piece of filmmaking equipment but that's enough about that <laughs> but i noticed that because i remember as i was filming there's something about that felt weird and like i've picked up a camera and filmed all kinds of things i was thinking why does this feel odd and i realized that i've never really filmed myself before doing mm. a video like this like you know i'm used to telling people like sit here look at this look at this direction you know i'm used to you know you know working with people who are on camera but i myself i never worked with myself putting myself on camera that way doing this sort of like youtube style video this sort of this sort of little mini vlog so yeah i found that was weird so i was found myself sort of adjusting you know i had to take a few outtakes you know so i can just reaching something in from a drawer but even then like it had to look it had to fit the style that was in my head so i found that was a challenge filming myself in a way mm -hmm. yeah and i mean like to relate it to the topic like having never really done that style before i'm sure you fell back on a certain amount of like imitation like you, oh, you know what that starts with that style looks like so mm -hmm. you can't make something that's totally new like you have to start from somewhere right yeah, yeah. well like it's funny because like I always look at vloggers like Casey Neistat, Peter McKinnon, Dan Mace. Like these guys are really, really top-notch vloggers because some because of the way not only their storytelling techniques, but the way they use transitions and cuts and music. They're very, excuse me, they're very, very good at that. So like as I was watching, like you know, for example, Casey Neistat, like his vlogs are almost like short films. Like they're really well mm -hmm. edited. You know, he, the way he places the camera in all different directions. Like it's, they're very visually engaging vlogs. You know, the way he uses jump cuts and everything and, you know, the way he plays with that temporality in vlogs, it's very impressive. I love it a lot. So I kind of went back to that saying, oh, yes, this is the style I want to have in my head. And that kind of helped me figure it out as I got because there's no real template for this. But I was able to do it in a way that I thought, yeah, this is this is what I'm going for. I'm happy with this. Yeah. And it's like you only will find you only will find like your like unique voice and style, I think, by just putting in those reps and maybe yeah. doing it through a certain amount of imitation. And then you find you're like, oh. I, th I think the biggest thing is figuring out that like a certain style either works or doesn't work with your personality type. Mm -hmm. Like I found that in making my own videos. Like I do one thing and I'm like, Oh, well this is, this is cool, but it's not. And it's really good when this person does it, but because of my workshop, it doesn't look as good maybe, or because of how I speak, it doesn't sound as good mm. because of my like, body movements i'm not as like crazy and wild and engaging as this person so maybe i <laughs> play to my strengths um which is the nice thing about making videos for youtube i feel because it's like 
it's okay if not everyone is perfect. And I think a lot of people accept, especially like when you're, when you're on a small channel, like I have that you're going to have these incremental improvements throughout each one. Yeah. That's it. Especially when, especially since you're a part of this community that makes very like-minded videos in that sort of space, you know, that's yeah. helpful because like, cause there you can watch other people's stuff and you go like, oh, I love what, you know, uh, Vincent Ferrari did in this episode. I like to try something now, like with what he's making, but in the style, the way he visualized it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, I in every industry, right? Like, you have to learn from the pros to a certain extent. Like, oh, yeah. it's just a much more efficient way of doing it than just trying to teach yourself everything. Yeah, I don't think you, like, you can teach yourself some things, but you can't teach yourself everything. Like mm-hmm. I'm grateful for having great mentors who have been able to show me how to do things properly. Cause especially yeah. when it comes to filmmaking, like there's such a wide, a wide spectrum of things. Like some people just focus on things like post-production, whereas some people like to, you know, do the, the writing and the directing and the producing and the editing all together. It just, it just depends. Like, yeah. so I'm very thankful for that regard and being able and being able to go back and look at films or even watch, you know, for example, even like, you know, tutorials or classes and how they just break things down. That's always very helpful. Like in my mind, (laughs) to me, to be like a filmmaker, you have to be a jack of all trades and the master of one where there's Mm -hmm. one domain you feel really, really comfortable in something that's your forte. Like for me, writing has always been my forte, writing, narrative, story structure. Like I love working within that space characters and themes but then using filmmaking the tools of filmmaking to help put that together and now i feel more comfortable with like you know with like working with cameras changing lenses you know working with like you know lighting color tone editing i like all that stuff but to me writing is always still my forte and i always use that as like the main base for anything i work on Hmm. that's interesting i'm just trying to think of like the analog for that in making um Cause I mean, it, it, like in terms of making and then making videos about it, yeah. There's like the filmography and everything else, but then there's also like the physical crafts, like whether it be woodworking or metalworking. And I'm now going through like the mental catalog in my head, thinking of the people I admire. Be like, hmm, what is their what is their main thing? And everyone has it. Yeah, well, like but some people, like you know, for example. People... Sorry, right. go on. Well, like for example, John Kaipoff is very like likes technology a lot, right? And he's able yeah. to integrate that a lot into his videos. Where yours is very like a lot of it's very like based on leatherworking other things. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Anyways. But but do you think like a lot of people have like a sort of base that they kind of kind of apply to other things as well? Yeah, definitely. And it's funny, like I don't even know if mine would necessarily be leatherworking. I feel like mine would be more if I would have to say what my like base specialty is. I feel like I'm more working from a small space with limited tools of which leatherworking is very um, in line with that. But I almost hesitate to like, to, to say like, Oh, this is my, this is my main thing that I am the master of. Cause I don't really feel like I've gotten there yet. I feel like I'm, I'm more in like a learning and exploring phase of my, of like my personal journey right now. Yeah. And I think everyone's different that way too, you know? Some people flow seamlessly from one thing to the other. I've seen that happen. I'm just like, how do you do that? Like, you, know, you see some people, like some musicians where they can write and sing and, you know, do do uh, do all the uh, instruments. You know, some people are really good at that. Oh, my God. Slight, uh, slight aside. Do you know Tame Impala, the artist? I don't know. I don't think so. 
okay so he's like um he's an australian um kind of like experimental psychedelic rock musician um plays a ton of instruments his name's kevin parker i believe hope i didn't mm-hmm. just misspeak <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's kevin parker um but he did a tiny debt npr tiny desk home concert recently oh um, okay cool and like tame impala as a music project is like all his own production so like he'll do the singing he'll do the drum machines he'll do the synthesizers the guitar so it's the sort of thing where like a live performance of it like you have to do some adjusting because a real live performance would just be him kind of like playing on his own so he he has guys with him that like play the different instruments and they all kind of they reimagine the songs live so i was watching this tiny desk concert and it's like he's so such a talented multi-instrumentalist like he's singing as he's doing all the the mixing and playing like a drum machine and walking around to samplers and stuff like just talking about like jack of all trades and master of most of them kevin parker is i just want to google his name to make sure i'm not he's he sounds like a very 21st century um one-man band of sorts (laughs) yeah yeah it's just like really impressive to watch yeah, some people are really dynamic that way, and like I can't help but feel utmost respect for that. That's just amazing. Yeah, and and just like staying on that for a second, it, it kind of relates to our topic too, because like he wasn't as good of a singer at the beginning of Tame Impala. Like he's gotten better over time, and like I was watching this Tiny Desk concert, and he's I don't know ten years or something okay. into this band, um, and he's put in that time, and like it's okay. Like it's it's okay that the earlier stuff wasn't as good. Like it was still really good music. Um, I always love seeing people's early work because you get an impression of like what inspired them in that moment and how how they kind of like developed since then. You know, because it's yeah. always interesting seeing people find their voice. Like mm-hmm. I just watched, like I mentioned last episode, the Kevin Smith film Clerks, you know, the one he made for like on credit card money, basically, and yeah. on side shop. Like I was very impressed with how, how he made it. And he was inspired by the Richard Linklater independent film Slacker that came out a few years beforehand. And you yeah. can see similarities because these are films that, you know, they're indie films only made for a few thousand dollars, but they rely on lot, rely, excuse me, rely a, a lot on, you know, um, the dialogue between characters, the banter, the dynamic back and forth. Even though like these are two very separate films, like you could see that sort of style is there, but in each of their own voices because they're very different filmmakers. Yeah. You know, that's really impressive. Even like, even Steven Spielberg's earlier works are very um, inspired by the works of like someone like Alfred Hitchcock. Like his films Duel and Jaws have a very Hitchcock style oh, to yeah. them. When you think about it, you know, with the music yes. and the tense and the intensity that it brings, like that's very, very impressive. And now we think of Spielberg in terms of like Indiana Jones, E.T. and everything else that he's done. But when you look at the early work, especially Jaws and Duel, it's really, you can see the Hitchcock that's in there. It's very, you know, draws on Psycho and other things. Mm-hmm. yeah and I, like that's true with with like every creative and i think i for whatever reason like i know right that like every artist is a product of all the millions of things that inspire them and that's one of the really cool things about about seeing someone's work is like you see all those things that go into it but i think sometimes i get caught up in trying to be like original and that mm. i kind of shoot myself in the foot because i'm like not taking full account of all my own inspirations and like how I can take a unique perspective on that. Hmm. Do you feel not, that pressure a lot? Um, not, not so actively. I think it's just something I need to be a little cognizant of. Okay. I think I just like, it's like being a contrarian, right? It's not, 
doing something just because other people aren't doing it is not always the best idea <laughs> you know yeah yeah you don't want to be like following the that one thing because everyone else is doing it that sort of thing yeah yeah like you don't want to be doing either like you want to be trying to make your own ind- like I, I try to make my own like independent decisions but sometimes i also like am a contrarian like i might do something like john john said to like poke the bear <laughs> or um i don't know i see that like everyone's doing it x way so i want to do a little y way which is like a little kind of beast I have to grapple with sometimes. Um, right, right. I used to think like that a lot too there. Like I just I have to be different for the sake of just being different. But then, you know, eventually like I kind of like let that go. Now I'm just like, oh, this is a cool idea that I have. This is something I want to explore. And just like I feel now that it's just like the short film that I was about to film soon. I just feel that, yeah, like, you know, you can't really judge it until it's made. Yeah. And once it's made, that's when it's like, but I, I feel very confident in it i know what i'm gonna try to say with it so well it's because you're i think it's because you're figuring like you're realizing like the person you are that maybe that sounds like a platitude but it's true like you're, you're getting like self-realization like you know an idea is good and you don't need that like outward validation to know that it's good um it, it, you're more like inwardly motivated than you used to be and that's part of that's part of like growing up right yeah exactly and i have just faith in myself my ideas and my abilities like i said to a friend last year that it was like perhaps the first time where i really started feeling like i'm the person that i always thought that i was like Mm. i remember in episode zero i talked about feeling imposter syndrome for for years because there were always things i wanted to do but i didn't either have the knowledge or the the you know the lessons or just just the confidence and the belief in myself to pursue these things even though I wanted to explore storytelling in this way and having years and years of since childhood, having a lot of passion for it, but I didn't have that. I don't know. There's something in you that sometimes has to click at once to make you feel like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do this because it's awesome. And I don't care what anyone says, because this is what I want to do. This is what I want to say. And, you know, and people can like it. Some people will, you know, think it's meh. Some people may not like it, but it's you did something you said something and from there you can learn and you can take that in a whole new direction like mm-hmm. doing that documentary with you and all those other people last year was such a litmus test for me because that was the moment where i have to like you know that's when you step up to the plate and you say okay you gotta do this now is this for you and mm-hmm. i went and i planned it out <laughs> and spent a lot of months working on it and filming it and you know 80 pounds of camera equipment on my back all over the city and you know even though it was like tough work and hard work yeah i feel proud of it i yeah. feel really really proud of it and i feel comfortable saying that like yeah i made a documentary i couldn't say that five years ago i didn't have the confidence like i didn't even call myself a filmmaker five years ago that's how even though i felt like one i didn't i never ever felt comfortable saying it out loud i couldn't yeah. have maybe even done this podcast you know five years ago i don't i wouldn't have been in that position but now i feel I think it's just a matter of personal growth and getting gaining new experiences. But now, yeah, now I'm just, I just want to tackle the world and COVID-19 is delaying that and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm excited. There's so many things I want to do. I want to work on. And now I have a re- like, a, we talked about last episode, that, that idea of clarity that mm-hmm. the pandemic has at least given me time to think about. Like there's so many projects I want to pursue now that I know how to pursue in a way that's practical. Yeah. I just want to do it. I just want to, 
just want to tear up the world <laughs> that's sick that's that's really that's really great to hear and like just going back just a little bit um we actually talked about this on uh, my other podcast clamp a couple weeks ago there's this there's this really good ira glass quote where he talks about something called the taste gap um <laughs> and i'll just i'll just read it real quick sure. um because i think it's worth i'm not gonna try to paraphrase it but he says uh nobody tells people who are beginners and i really wish someone had told this to me that all of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste, but it's like there's a gap. Actually, John read this. I, I'm realizing now. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. It's worth reiterating. Um, but it's like there's a gap that for the first couple of years that you're making stuff, what you're making isn't so good. It's not that great. It's trying to be good. And it has ambition to be good, but it's not quite that good. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, your taste is still killer. And your taste is good enough that you can tell what you're making is kind of a disappointment to you. You know what I mean? Right. A lot of people never, that was him saying that, not me. Oh. <laughs> a lot, you know what I mean? So yeah. he continues to say, um, a lot of people never get past that phase. A lot of people at that point, they quit. And the thing I would just like to say to you with all my heart is that everybody I know who does interesting creative work, they went through a phase of years where they had really good taste and they could tell what they were making wasn't as good as they wanted it to be. They knew it fell short. It didn't have the special thing that we wanted it to have. And the thing I would say to you is everybody goes through that. And for you to go through it, if you're going through it right now, if you're just getting out of that phase, you got to know it's totally normal. And the most important thing you can do is do a lot of work, do a huge volume of work, put yourself on a deadline so that every week, every month, you know, you're going to finish one story because it's only by actually going through a volume of work that you're actually going to catch up and close that gap. And the work you're making will be as good as your ambitions. It takes a while. It's going to take you a while. It's normal to take a while. And you just have to fight your way through that. So it's interesting. This is Morley talking again. This isn't me quoting Iron Glass anymore. <laughs> um, Welcome back. Welcome back. So I spent a whole podcast with Adam and Grant um, talking about that from the perspective of like that taste gap between your taste and your execution. Yeah. And how that gap, you hope that gap narrows over time. But now I'm kind of thinking of it um from a different perspective in that terms of like inventing versus being original and it's like i think like you were saying like i have this idea of who i want to be in my head of like making really interesting original work but the fact of the matter is is that like i'm young i don't have a lot of experience i make some interesting original work but sometimes like those ideas just don't come and i have to spend time um just continuing to do work that might not be the most interesting original work that I want to do, but you just have to get those reps in to get to that point. Um, and I think it's just like, it's a bit of, like I, I've mentioned before, like just like a little impatientness that I have to get over sometimes where it's like, okay, even though you don't have that awesome idea right now, it doesn't mean that like you have to wait for that awesome idea. Just like keep working on other stuff and that those ideas will come. Hmm. That's very true. And like, I agree with like pretty much everything you just said, but there's yeah i totally get that like one thing i've had to learn this might have been the hardest lesson to have i had to learn but it was like to give yourself that room to to experiment to grow mm -hmm. personally and artistically as well because it's so like i used to be extraordinarily harsh on myself i don't know why i was just very very self-critical and like almost to the point where it was you know taking away my my ability to be creative because I didn't have, you know, my faith in those ideas or at least even just pursue them first and then see how they are after. 
like you know that could be i don't know that was a mindset that i had to really tackle i don't have that now that's been gone for years now but it's something that i think you know giving that space for you to grow and to learn and to just you know just create for the sake of creating and not having not having this idea of like success or failure because at the end of the day what does it matter it has it has to matter to you yeah and what you want to achieve from it it's brainstorming right like if you're so self-critical of yourself like you're saying you're not giving yourself the chance to brainstorm and the whole point of brainstorming is that like you just try to come up with as many ideas as you can without judging them and if you just judge every idea immediately it's like you're never like you said you're never giving yourself that space to get to anything out there or interesting or original or new because you're just you're just so like yeah self-critical and i i think that's a very like i've struggled with that too my mom is kind of said something really helpful to me once where she's like i think our whole family we're all very hard on ourselves sometimes and this was like when i was going through a sort of a tough time i was like huh, i never really thought about that before i guess i am kind of hard on myself and i think that's also just part of being young yeah um, i think so i think so and like and now i've kind of also just learned to how just to not not rely so much on the perceptions of others to mm-hmm. the point like of course you have to like you can't close yourself off from it it's always good to hear what the feedback is good or bad you know because it just helps you learn a bit but like not relying on like oh what where are people gonna think about this like instead before having even having it even being made for example you know yeah. just a matter of just being able to have faith in what you're going to do first and then and then you know do it that's why like i never hype anything that, that i'm about to do i don't say what i'm going to do i'm always saying oh this is what i've done that's interesting. I think that's I think that's good, but I also find personally that like if I hype and say I'm going to do something, sometimes it makes me do it. Whereas ah, like if I don't tell someone, like I don't have as much motivation to do it. Like it's a bit of a gamble because then if you don't, you're kind of like you have to go back to that person like, "Oh, it, yeah, I didn't do that thing." Yeah, it's more of a commitment. I see, I see. Cuz I don't know, I've seen a lot of cases where I saw people hype something that they're going to do and it just doesn't happen. I was like, "Oh, I don't want to be caught in that." But it's interesting for hearing it from your perspective. I never thought of it from that way. Mm. Like I always thought, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And then I'm going to be like, yeah, I've done this. I've done that. And it's just, you know, I don't know. I just, I just like this idea of just going, going at, you know, head on and seeing what happens. Like I never, <laughs> like I never do anything half finished. Like it has to be a draft or a version of it has to be finished first before I ever show it. Mm-hmm. I always heard like this funny piece of writing advice I was told by an author once. It was um, never show anyone uh, your <laughs> never show another writer your work first before it's before it's fully done because if it's bad they'll hate it and if it's good they'll hate it even more. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> so yeah, it's nice to, yeah, it's good to unless like you really want critical feedback it's nice to give us something a finished piece to someone and they can get the full effect although i i do like and maybe this is like more of a this is maybe this is a telling difference of like the maker community versus the writing community is like i enjoy showing little teasers and works in progress and like showing people a bit behind the scenes but that behind the scenes doesn't really exist as much in writing people really just want the finished thing like they want the story yeah, and and you don't want to like, um, you don't want to like put yourself in a bad spot because if you show someone that's half finished, 
and you get negative feedback, that will impact your process. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than if you finished it totally, because you could be on the right track the whole time, and that negative feedback could maybe, you know, because that that will play with your ideas that were in your head, and it might you be might be responding more to the feedback you learned from that person rather than just going with your initial vision that could have been amazing anyway. Yeah. That's why it's important to finish finish something through. And then once you can see the whole project or what you've written or what you, what video you've made completely, then you can, then you can evaluate from it. But mm-hmm. I think that's the best way. Yeah. It's hard, try- it's hard. Sorry. Go ahead. I guess like in my pro, like I, even if I am sharing a behind the scene things, I'm, I'm never really asking for feedback. I'm just like showing like, Oh, look at this cool thing that's going on. Yeah, that's cool. You see it, but like teasers like that get people hyped. That's the one thing. That's something nice that you can do with videos that you can get people excited that way. Mm-hmm. Have you? Re- I'm just curious. Have you read um, Stephen King book? Stephen King's book on writing. No, I haven't. I didn't know he, he had a book like that. Actually, yeah. Apparently, it's really good. He talks about it's like some of his story of writing and some of his strategies and advice to young writers. I haven't read it. It's been on my list for a little while and not, not because like I want to be a novelist or anything. I just, I love Stephen King and. Are you telling me you don't want to write about, you know, a small town Maine where there's a killer clown? I wouldn't be opposed. It is a great (laughs) book. That was one of the first Stephen King books I read and I loved it. Really? It's a, it's a dense book, but it's very good. Very, very good. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you read it too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Actually, I, I could, I writing a book is something that like, I, f- I feel like maybe this is over romantic, but I feel like is maybe like a, a vital human experience. Like there's so many books out there. I was like, yeah. oh, it'd be cool. Like in my life, if I wrote at least like one book, that's a way off in the future goal. Like once yeah, I've had, yeah, of more, course. Once I've had more experiences and things to write about. Yeah. Um, but, but it's always timing, right? Like you started on something when you just know it's the right time. Like yeah, it just, no, it's it just, it, it not, happens. not the right time at all. <laughs> um, anyways, you'd probably find it interesting i've heard good things about it um because he he's such a prolific writer right like oh amazing how many books he's put out and like really not with a decrease in quality like i haven't read of his really any of his really recent stuff but um i don't know i feel like he's he's always been unique i don't know i read the shining a couple years ago and i was like that Uh, movie was good but i thought the book was better like that's a good book oh yeah he's 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 a very prolific writer i don't know what he thought of the shining after i'm wondering what he thought about because by stanley kubrick right so that's someone with his very own very specific vision of how things go yeah. so it'd be interesting to see because i know there are some differences between the two but yeah no stephen king is a phenomenal writer like i like i'm not really into a lot of like here's how to write sort of books but when it's coming from someone like him that's like mm-hmm. oh okay okay that's this seems interesting yeah, I know there was some. I'm just looking it up now, trying to get an answer of Stephen King. Oh my God. Okay, here's a great quote Stephen King says Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is like a big, beautiful Cadillac with no engine inside it. <laughs> oh, wow. That is a fantastic <laughs> quote. Oh my gosh. I'll put that article in the show notes because I'm not going to read it now. But oh, I know, I know he has some opinions about it. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's good because, like, I, I kind of feel the same way with reading The Shining. Like, I feel like there's so much more depth to the characters in the book, whereas the movie is a lot more feeling based. Like it, 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 it tries to place yeah. you in the feeling of being in the hotel, whereas in the book, like you, there's a lot more character development, and you, you feel Jack's a bit more of a relatable character. 
Yeah, and the visual, the visuals play a big role in that movie too. You know, with like the hallways and like you know that scene where um, Jack Nicholson's walking through the dining room and there's all these people and you know yeah. the visuals and the color. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. And the music as well. The music plays a big thing. Yeah, plays oh, a play, good. plays good, a big role. It's good. It's good. I haven't watched it in forever. I got gotta get back into it. There's so I have, I have an ever long list. And I don't think I'm ever gonna get to the bottom of it. <laughs> Probably not. There's a lot of amazing movies out there. Yeah. That's it. And I'm, I'm so busy trying to make my own that I don't think I'm going to watch a movie for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I, I struggle with that with, with like watching uh, other makers on YouTube. It's like, I feel like the more videos I've made, it's the less I watch of other people. And sometimes I really have to like make myself be like, no, like I want to watch a video. It's okay. It's not going to like corrupt my creative process. It's I want to support <laughs> my friends. And then you watch it like, that was so good. Um, that's, that's and I also find it sometimes like if I'm, spending a lot of time or trying to like spend a lot of time working on my own creative things. Sometimes I can get in this bad mindset of like any time doing other things is taking away from that, which isn't really healthy because you need balance, right? Yeah. Health. You always need a healthy balanced meal. No, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, no, I, I get that. Like that, that's how I felt after the whole YouTube documentary. Like I loved it, but I watched, you know, so many videos. I did so much research about YouTube. That I'm still now trying to go back to YouTube. Like I don't uh... watch it as often as I used to, because before I used to watch all kinds of things from, you know, technology reviews to you know tutorials to, um, you know, video game walkthroughs, you know, music videos, like all kinds of things. Now it's like, it's harder for me to go back to it. It's also harder to find like new stuff as well. Like you have to do a lot of digging. Like now mm. I find the algorithm, you know, they have certain favorites, like, you know, like the newest, um, I don't know, like uh, hot ones video or stuff like that, or stuff that's yeah. very, very popular stuff. That's really, you know, or like uh, clips from the tonight show or something. There's a lot of stuff like that at the top. So you have to really go digging for stuff unless you're already subscribed to it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like all of my YouTube, most of my YouTube watching is within my subscription. So I don't usually explore the homepage very much, but yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not how it used to be. <laughs> Remember the good old days of 2007 YouTube? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of smosh. <laughs> a lot of smosh. Oh my gosh. But yeah, you know, this whole conversation is reminding me of a great um, podcast. I listened to an episode uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the filmmaker Ryan Johnson who made uh, Knives Out, Star Wars, Last Jedi, Looper, uh, his independent film, his first film, Brick, which is really, really good. If you have Amazon Prime, I really recommend you go check out Brick. But it's, yeah, they talk a lot about this too, about like how you're able to find, you know, be imitating and finding your own voice. And that it takes a long time to discover. But once you have it or you think you have it, then you just got to follow through with it because, you know, it will change and evolve like all things. Like we had mentioned before, like look at how many artists have adapted and, you know, how much their style has grown over the years. Like I wonder what Stephen King's very first novel was like or his very first few pieces of writing. Imagine what they are what they were like compared to now. Yeah, I think they were still really good. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. Like like 10 out of 10. But still, it'd be just interesting to see how he puts things together compared to like how he put them together in say like a book like It or The Shining. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, the more I think about this topic, I think it's more of a matter of like, of minds of a mindset towards like imitation and not, I, I think it even imitation might even be a bad word. I think I'm more just talking about skill building. It's like skill building. And then there's also inspiration. Um, mm. I guess a good example is like in your documentary, right? You talk to 
Dave Culligan, who talked about, um, who talked, oh, talked, 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 talked. Uh, he talked lots about talking, um, lots of talking in that documentary. <laughs> no, I, I, I just tripped over my words. Like, anyways, um, he talks about that when he started doing vlogs, and he was watching, like you said, Casey Neistat, and he felt mm-hmm. like he had no choice but to, to a certain extent, imitate his style. And I've heard like multiple people say that. A lot of people who have very successful channels who have said specifically like Casey Neistat is like the thing I have to go off of. And that's, what's gotten me excited about making vlogs. And mm. they had to reach a point where they were okay with it. They were like, they could accept that that was going to be a main source of inspiration and that there's going to be very clear influences, but they also accepted that at a certain point they would find their own voice and kind of divert from that and adapt the style to their own personality. Oh yeah. That's interesting. Cause like I noticed that, yeah. And there's like a few of his early videos, like, you know, with drone shots and like, it's very similar esque, but it's, it's always something like, we always want to imitate people that we admire or that we think are really, really great. Like I, what got me back into filmmaking when I was in my late teen, teenage years, because I mentioned, I think I mentioned this in episode four with Olivia, where I said, like, I kind of gave up on filmmaking early high school simply because my interests changed. And I really didn't think it was something worth, pursuing anymore which i would slap myself if i heard that today but (laughs) but now but like when i was in my late teens i started watching the films of christopher nolan and they were the types of movies that made me see cinema again in a way that oh wait like you know i saw like in terms of in terms of cinematography but also like you know how he used non-linear editing how he used memory as like a narrative device like i thought oh this is interesting right yeah memento yeah, and also kind of like stuff like Inception as well, playing on theme, those sorts of ideas. I got to round out my Christopher Nolan cinematography. Yeah. Or, or my, his uh, filmography. Filmography. I watch the rest of his movies that I haven't seen. Sorry, yeah. Dylan. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Great movies. I can't wait to see Tenet, but I, I don't know if it's going to come to my movie theater for who knows how long. But, but I always liked, but his movies were what made me start seeing c- cinema again as a powerful narrative tool. Then I started learning more about, you know, the music that he learned, how he worked with Hans Zimmer, you know, how he structured his narratives, like how he structured, structured his narrative, like Memento was just amazing, you know, and I always Mm -hmm. wanted to play on things like that. That's why like my, like a short film I made that I came up, a concept I came up with that I sent to you called Arrête de Monde, where like I wanted to play with this idea of like stuff that feels dreamlike and, you know, you know, manipulating editing and different types of, yeah, in parts of the day to make it feel that was non-linear like i always i was really attracted to that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. then it started developing developing you know outward especially working on different other types of student projects you're working with a lot of different types of people who have very different ideas and different types of styles they want to imitate so that helps you kind of confront those expectations as well yeah that's interesting and then i went to when i was making creators because the leaping off point with creators was was that there was a documentary I watched called um, Side by Side. It was uh, hosted by Keanu Reeves of all people, and he huh. interviews all of these different types of filmmakers. Uh, where it talks about how digital this was in 2012, so it was talking about how digital cameras were starting to take over cinema. You know, like, you know, old film cameras were starting to be retired. They weren't as popular in use anymore. So he's interviewing uh, directors like, say, George Lucas and David Fincher, who think digital cinema is the way to go. It's the future. Then you have people like Christopher Nolan and others who say, no, we have to keep the, you know, the film uh, negative format because it's essential. It's history. Hmm. So you're seeing all these different types of perspectives. And then at the end, 
at the very end, they touch on the idea that, oh, like digital cameras and the internet opening up all different types of new uh, storytelling. And yeah. that's what made me click in my head that, oh, that's a really, really, really interesting idea. Because now we, because that was in 2012, YouTube was very different in 2012. And now, since then, there was all these new different types of, you know, vlogging types of content and how the production values have increased and how people are using it as a power for self-expression for their own stories. So that, so seeing the end of that documentary is what gave me the kind of like the light bulb moment. And I said, oh, that's an interesting idea to jump off, but jump off of, I want to explore that further. So like everything's kind of like tied together that way. Like you want to imitate or you want to follow through an idea that was just sometimes just touched upon in someone else's work. And you want to take that idea and you want to run away with it. Yeah, definitely. And that's it, right? Like, I don't think, I don't think most people, if, if they get like a, someone says something and it inspires them in some way, they're like, you're not, you don't want to, I'm just using him as an example, but you don't want to make Kill Bill frame for frame. You don't want to make a Quentin Tarantino movie exactly like it. There's probably, there's probably aspects of Quentin Tarantino or Christopher Nolan movies that like you love and you're going to take that little tidbit and insert it into your vocabulary and your toolkit and then come out something with something totally new that is, and it's part of the beauty of it is that it does have that inspiration. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is like, you can't deny your own voice, your voice and your vision is what drives you. Like no mm. matter how much you want to imitate something, like spe- especially when it's visually like, unless, like I said, you have to be intentionally plagiarizing something, but if you're doing something, taking inspiration from, from like, I don't know, a scene or whatever, like trying to make your video, like another content creator that you saw, it's still going to be done in your own way because it's still going to be yeah, in the context, the rest of your, yeah, especially in the context of the rest of your work, whether it's like a video or a short film or a short story or whatever, it's still going to be your own voice, your own work. And people are going to be like, oh, it's cool. You took this idea or this representation and something else and you put it into your own work, but it's, it's yours. That's cool. You know, that's how people like Nolan and Tarantino, they've all had, they're all, there's a whole bunch of filmmakers and stories that they want to imitate, but it's still them, you know, no one's going to, everyone knows like what Tarantino style, but before that he was trying to imitate others and it was the most niche things you could ever imagine. Yeah. I always, I love reading like the Wikipedia articles of like directors or music, like Kevin Parker, for example, and you read about their inspirations and you're like, wow, that's like the most specific subculture from a very point in time that I would have like never thought of. Oh yeah. He takes things from like old, like, you know, police procedurals from the 1960s like really really specific stuff like you'd see that but in once upon a time in hollywood where leo dicaprio's character rick dalton he's on this show yeah you know like bounty law or something but that's he's drawing upon those styles that he's seen before yeah or like this is such a just to demonstrate how like specific these little things of inspiration are like my favorite rap group flatbush zombies one of their big sources of inspiration is like 90s wwe wrestling and like they have that sense and that like bravado and references just like inserted into their work. And it makes it so unique because like no one else is doing that. No one else is as pumped about like Rick. Uh, I don't I, you know. I never watched WWE. I'm going to sound like I'm trying to talk about it. <laughs> it's okay. Neither have I. <laughs> so, but it, it doesn't matter, right? Because like yeah. they're so pumped about it and it like it works. You know, you don't need to know the specific influences of someone's work to have it come through in an impactful way. No. And I think like all 
all forms of art and all forms of storytelling are all drawing upon sources that we've seen before. Yeah. I mean, it's just natural. Like how much of like, how many stories are drawn upon from stuff from like philosophy or, you know, religion, even, you know, these are all ideas that we play with all, you know, how many stories have you seen about angels and demons and like a million different forms? Like it's happened many times. Yeah. Well, that's like the Jungian philosophy, right? It's that like, we're all acting out these, um, archetypal stories over and over and you're not going to get bored of them <laughs> <laughs> right like the david and goliath or anything else at all yeah but also because like we 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 connect with these stories as well in a multitude of fashions you know the superhero movies are all that are all the rage now at the box office are all inspired by the hero's journey mm-hmm. you know and how many variations have we have we seen of that from like you know from superman to luke skywalker to you know you know, to the, the, you know, Clint Eastwood cowboys of the wild West, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's. And also like how many, how many vloggers, how many young people are watching vloggers like Casey Neistat and how many of them are recreating that style in their own way? Yeah, for sure. This is a, a little random, but it just reminded me like talking about how inspiration can be so specific. Mm. Um, like one movie I really like is Donnie Darko. Uh, and and nice. my, my, my friends like making fun of it sometimes. Cause I, I went through a period of like always recommending it, but it's not because of like, it's not because of, like the movie as a whole or the story. I think the first time, the first time I watched it, spoiler alert, fast forward, like a minute. If you haven't seen Donnie Darko, the first time I watched it, I thought, um, like he was losing his mind and that the world was normal. And he was just like going through this period. But then at the end you realize that like all these supernatural world bending, dimensional shifts were actually happening so i was like oh my god it was like when i watched shutter island for the first time i didn't see the twist coming and thought it was the opposite of what it actually was oh yes i remember i remember that that's the movie's 10 years, 10 years old now that's i can't believe that <laughs> oh, such a good movie but so good. i think like the story's cool and whatever but i think what i really loved about donnie darko was like these these very like see, these scenes that were like very emotional that i couldn't really figure out why they were emotional like this combination of the music and him as a young angsty teen um, and this love interest. It was all this kind of like combination of aesthetic. Um, oh, yeah. Not for really sure. even the story of, of it or anything. It was just this like feeling that it created. It's just the way it's put together. Like a lot of it's just subconsciously, you know, you, you react to these things, you identify with them. Yeah. And it was a moment of time. It was like I was in high school and feeling a little angsty. And I, I felt like, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, can't explain it the way it's making me feel i don't know but like inspiration acts that way right it's like it may not have affected someone else in the same way and that's part of what makes it unique to you and why i think it's good to accept those sources because it's it's genuine it's like it's part of you oh yeah for sure like there are plenty of things that you know like you don't go out and find inspiration it finds you in many ways, you know, there's sometimes you could watch something that you never expected and it could hit you in a million different ways. You know, for example, I talked about the film La La Land in episode zero. That was a movie that I never thought I would, you know, relate to as much in a way or be, you know, be inspired by its style and its aesthetic as much as I thought it would have. But, you know, I, I really liked it. Even then, that film draws upon the all the musicals from the 1950s and even before that. Mm hmm. And all other sorts of romance films from before. I love French cinema is in that movie as well. So, yeah, and it doesn't mean that uh, you love like um, 
I don't know, the Music Man, for example, because it draws off of that stylistically. <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's funny. But no, but like, yeah, like it can be anything from the way like music is used to a visual aesthetic to even art and photography. Like we just, we all relate to these things in different ways. And mm-hmm. some of it's because of our own lived in experiences. Like our experiences influences our work. And when we see work that we can relate to or that, or style that we, that we like, we would just want to grab that take this other thing from our life, put them together and put it out there. And then the cycle repeats. It's very, it's amazing how, how it's so passed down, like so many other things. Yeah. It's like, it's never ending. I don't think there's ever going to be like no more good movies. No, (laughs) there's always going to be your list of movies that you want to see is just going to get longer. (laughs) Life life would suck a lot if that that ever transpired, but I don't think it's going to. (laughs) Yeah. Which is kind of a shame because I have a similar list that's growing and it's not getting any shorter. Hmm. There's a really good maker video that I watched. I was going to send it to you. I don't know if you heard of them. Let me, but because I don't know, you, you must've like know all the, the the makers in the world after uh, makers on zoom, having coffee. (laughs) I like to think myself as in touch, in touch with the community. I think so. I think so. Let's Let's, see. Let's test that. (laughs) Just let's see. But uh, it's okay you can keep on yeah something else you want to add it probably take me a moment or two to, to um, find it you know if i was a really experienced podcast host i could probably just fill this space but uh i think there's going to be a moment of awkward silence <laughs> oh okay it's called it's called little king goods have you heard of them oh yeah so it's a leather working channel right yeah i have heard about little king goods i don't think i've ever seen their videos uh, but apparently it's like it's like the premium beautiful leather crafting channel oh okay cool cool because uh, like i watch some I of their videos I just i just like the visual style of their videos like it's very like i don't know it's something with like how the lighting you know reflects on the i don't know how they do it like they have this like nice wooden backdrop of a table the lighting comes down the leather in the way of, i don't know it's all put together really well yeah i you know actually i think I remember looking through this channel when I was having a little trouble figuring out like how to make my thumbnails for my leatherworking videos. I was trying to figure out like a good background that made it pop, but also like create like a warm aesthetic. And I remember scrolling through this channel and looking at, um, yeah, like their lighting is incredible because it's, it's a dark background, but the piece is still lit up. Yeah. It just, it just pops really well. That's amazing. Yeah. Cool. All right. That will be in the show notes as well. <laughs> We're going to have like a long list of show notes, but that's oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of mentions this week. Um, <laughs> and we should add two more. We should add to those show notes uh, what we're putting in the spotlight this week. So sure uh, I will, I'll kick it off. Sure give thing. you a chance to choose yours if you haven't already. Um, <laughs> Are you saying I come unprepared? No, it's not true. Oh, I would never. <laughs> I'll wait for that siren to pass. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the past few weeks, I've been reading a book that is very good. It's called How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence by Michael Pollan. So I don't know, many people know about like MK Ultra and the LSD, experiment, LSD experiments in the 60s, which kind of gave that research a bad name as, as well as Timothy Leary gave that research a bad name. But there's it's been a lot of really interesting um, research with psychedelics and how they work in a therapeutic uh, therapy setting over time. And a lot of that research was kind of lost. 
with a crackdown on the war on drugs and the classification of a lot of psychedelics as like class one narcotics or um, mm. sorry, schedule one drugs. Um, but this book is really interesting and in, in that it dives into that history and it also dives into what's being done now, which is this whole revitalization of the science and people recognizing that um, LSD and psilocybin and, and other um, drugs can be used to help treat PTSD and addiction and depression. Um, and as some would say, like help well people, like help, help hmm. people find more meaning in their lives in a way that is very different from traditional psychiatric drugs. Like they just work in a very different way. Like huh. someone may have one guided psychedelic experience. Um, and after that, they have the, a new perspective on their smoking addiction. And after that, and some follow-up, they can kick it. Whereas nicotine patches, a chronic treatment wasn't working in the same way. So it's, it's a really interesting book written by a guy who is, he's not a, uh, he's not a, like a hippie or the classic, like psychedelic evangelist you would, um, expect he's this kind of like straight laced 60 year old journalist. And he, he kind of dove into this world, had some experiences on his own. And it, I think one of his great skills as a writer is describing the experiences of other people and chronicling them and, and getting all these stories together of, um, of how these people had these experiences and how it impacted their lives. And I think in, I, I had never before read such like an interesting uh, series of account, all of all these accounts put together. It's, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. Just, and, and just aside from like the psychedelic therapy, he talks a lot about like a lot of these experiences. It's, it's getting the ego out of your way. And it's made me think a little bit about like, if you can take a, your ego out of the picture with its self judgment and kind of like what we were talking about this episode and that um, being hard on yourself and worrying about what other people think it can sometimes make for a little bit of easier of flowing things in life. So it's been a really, it's been a really interesting book. I'm not quite done it yet. Um, but I, I'm confident enough that I will recommend it. Um, yeah, he was on, Michael Pollan was on like the Joe Rogan experience a few years ago when this came out. Um, that was a really good episode, but I just picked it up from the library recently. Nice. And how did you hear about this book beforehand? It was through that, um, episode on the Joe Rogan experience. And it was ah, actually, okay, okay. it was recommended to me recently. Like I had forgotten about it because um, there's what is, maps is an organization, the multiple multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. And they're pioneering a lot of the research um, of like MDMA assisted therapy to treat post-traumatic stress disorder, I think as well as some psilocybin trials. It's headed by this guy called Rick Doblin, who has been lobbying for these sorts of therapies for years and years and years. And uh, my cousin is very involved with their organization. So it just in like talking with him and some other people, it was recommended to me again. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. It's kind of like, I think it's gonna really change. It's really gonna change a lot of mental health treatment. That's good. That's because um, I don't have a lot of knowledge in that area, but it sounds interesting. Like, is it something like anyone could just pick up and read? Or yeah, for yeah? sure. He he really builds like a very accessible baseline. He starts the story from ground zero, and he talks about the neuroscience. He talks about the political history. He talks about these um, personal experiences. Yeah, anyone could pick it up. Awesome. Okay, I, I'll put that on the list. That's another long list, a book list, but yeah. we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, mine to the spotlight is a little bit less trippy, 
but kind of okay. trippy. It depends. <laughs> it depends. I won't recommend being trips when you watch these movies, but I guess we touched on them a lot. And I'll say, well, my Into the Spotlight has two sides of it. But one, the first one is like, is Christopher Nolan. You know, he was a filmmaker that inspired me that kind of, like I had inspirations before. Like I, when I was a kid, I looked up to filmmakers like, you know, Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, George Lucas, because I liked all their big, big extravagant movies. And I thought like, oh, I want to do something like that. Like I wanted to make Jurassic Park 4 when I was a kid. And then that was made five years ago and my dreams are dashed. Not nah, kidding. But... <laughs> Didn't even consult me. <laughs> I can't believe it. No, <laughs> but but when, like I mentioned before, like I kind of like lost my path on that. I kind of just gave up on it for a while. And his movies really just brought me back into it. He helped me see what cinema could be and how it could be this really powerful tool for storytelling. And especially in stories that in his vision that I've never seen before. And it's a style that I really appreciate. And he has his new movie coming out called Tenet. So I thought that's eh, a press maybe timely to put a spotlight on him. And I just recommend people to go check out his films like Memento, the Prestige is amazing. If you've never seen oh, The Prestige, yeah, so you got to check that out. That is a very good movie. Um, Me- Memento, The Prestige, uh, The Dark Knight Trilogy. I have a whole book about the making of The Dark Knight Trilogy. Because oh, cool. I really delved in just learning everything from like how they were doing the art, the storyboarding, even the marketing, how they did the set design, to project the production design for Gotham City. It's really, really cool. So Inception, Interstellar. Uh, Dunkirk is really great. So just check out his films. They're really great. There are some people who say he's the greatest filmmaker of all time and they're really, really passionate about it. And I'm just like, okay, dude. But <laughs> but he's a great, great he's filmmaker. He's definitely a great filmmaker. He's a great filmmaker. A wonderful. Like, you know, there's no one with his style and vision in Hollywood today right now at that level. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just check out his movies because that his movies really inspired me to get back on this creative path. And, then, and from his films, that's when I kind of started going into like the whole learning more about independent filmmakers when he from when he first started out and yeah i know he's a wonderful filmmaker wonderful storyteller and the way he constructs his narratives using time and memory it's really impressive how he's able to do all of this on like such a large canvas yeah so i just appreciate it. so go back and check it out and the second part of my into the spotlight is to it's more so directed towards the listener and because if you're listening, you're most likely a very creative type of person is to kind of go back and look at the people who've inspired you, who kind of helped you, that you want to imitate, that you wanted to emulate in some way, why they and learn more about why they inspired you. Kind of go back to basics and learn about why they inspired you and how they've helped you get to where you are now. You know, like I mentioned in last episode, like there's this kind of like the sense of clarity again. I've had a nice little renaissance of just, come on, en français, like just <laughs> learning, just learning about, you know, why they inspired me in the first place, learning about their backgrounds, learning about their first, you know, initial creative struggles and how they got to where they are. So if you're any sort of artist or storyteller or YouTuber or content creator, or whatever, musician, just, yeah, kind of just go back to basics. Look at the people who've inspired you and just remember as to why they inspired you in the first place and how they've helped you, how they've helped you on your journey. Yeah. I love that. That's a great, it's a great thing to do just to um, touch on Christopher Nolan real quick. I, I saw Ad Astra last year. I think you saw it too. Oh, I loved Ad Astra. Yes. With Brad Pitt. Yeah. So I didn't really love it. And I was thinking like, I was comparing like Ad Astra with Interstellar. Yeah. They're very similar in terms of, themes for sure yes but they're very different in terms of feeling so what i think ad astra is like is very very well done because i think i've never 
been to space. <laughs> but I would think on Brad Pitt's journey to Jupiter or wherever he goes, it would be incredibly lonely mm-hmm. um, and very and, taxing. And, and I the think film, it, yeah, sorry. It shows that incredibly well. Like you feel his loneliness and just how far away he is from everyone. And it makes it really depressing, I thought. <laughs> I was like, it, it almost like stopped being entertaining at a certain point. I felt like in the depths of it, I was like, okay, I really feel what he's feeling, but like, I feel like, the, okay, so sorry, just to get, to compare it with Interstellar, right? Yeah. Who was the main character of Interstellar? Um, uh, Matthew McConaughey's. Matthew McConaughey, um, right? Like, yeah. he's also... He has a similar lonely experience, especially when he gets those messages back from his daughter mm. that he sees over the years. And like, oh my God, that was one of like the most, I feel like, affecting scenes I had seen in a long time. Yeah. But I feel like- I remember, yeah. That's a tough scene. <laughs> like Christopher Nolan's building of that was so expansive. Like it was still very sad and emotional, but it didn't make me feel like kind of empty in the same way that Astro, that Ad Astra did in that way. Like, I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy that Astro. Like, it was a good movie. But I feel like Christopher Nolan has, like, such an incredible skill of, like, really filling you up, even if it's not a positive feeling. You're like, you, you, maybe it's that, it's that horrible, like, cinematic style of his, and everything's very grand. It's that, that with a Hans Zimmer soundtrack. Yeah. Well, it's especially like in Interstellar, it has, like, that organ, you know, that's, like, the main instrument and, in, like, the soundtrack that really oh, amplifies yeah. it to that level of epicness. And yeah, no, it's very good, especially since like, yeah, they're two, they're different in the sense that Ad Astra really wants to make you feel that loneliness and that solitude and just how space can be just really grueling, especially towards the end. You could really feel the weight of it, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, there's this, you know, once he's walking on space, like you can feel the cold, harsh, empty nature of space. Yeah. Whereas in Interstellar, it's like, it's a, like, there's a family at the core of it. So when he goes off into space and he's on that planet and so many years have gone by because of how the physics, I'm not going to get into that part, but, <laughs> but that's not my forte. But like, it just, but it's, it, it's like he's doing this duty to save his family by having to leave them behind. Yeah. And the fact that he lost that time with them, you know, that's, yeah, like you could feel the impact of that. I think you know, it's like what we do for our family, even though, we will you know lose our time with them even though exactly. that's the most precious thing and yeah, time and is like, all about that movie it's clear in interstellar like how far matthew mcconaughey is physically from his family and time wise but you still feel like this sense of connection like this universality everything is connected but uh, in ad astra i feel like you feel brad pitt is far away from everyone and that's it. He's far and there's like you really <laughs> feel that distance and there's nothing connecting them. It's just like, oh wow, he is all the way away. Brad Pitt's really lonely road trip. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't want to crap on the movie. No, 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 no. I'm kidding. It was really impressive and I I think Oh, absolutely. I I found it was very affecting because I didn't think it would be as affecting as it was, but it was really, really well, it was just it was just a different style. Yeah. Very yeah. different movie. But I, I I love how Christopher Nolan's style is so expansive, like it really like it, it makes the world feel big, in a good it's, way. It makes the feel it, world feel connected and like, yeah, it's really that, really grand, and you feel that in, in the in the Inception too. Like that's it's just the way he's able to. I don't know. He's very good. Like he makes the set pieces a really integral part of the storytelling. Hmm. That's that's interesting. 
you know, because you know, so many movies, you know, here's the big action sequence and blah, and then then like they forget about it after five minutes after it passed. But in here, like it's all tied together. Like when that city folds over in Inception, like you feel the weight of it. That this is a really crazy dynamic world, and you and you don't know what's really going to happen in this world of the dreams. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. He's a he's a well, great filmmaker. All right, if you guys can go start that marathon, that would be appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, I think on that, that's a good place to end as any. So thank you so much for listening this week. Um, We will be back soon with a guest, but I love these conversations. These are really good and I find it very personally helpful. It's very enriching. Well, it really gets, you know, it really gets the gears running in terms of like your creativity. Cause sometimes I'm in a bit of a, like a stuck in the certain spot and then once we have these conversations it just gets me like i see all the possibilities now after we have these conversations mm-hmm. like christopher so, nolan's universes exactly <laughs> exactly exactly now i'm gonna be up all night <laughs> writing so <laughs> that's yes. gonna be fun that's gonna be fun all right well um you can find the podcast social media at into the spotlight on or into the spotlight podcast on instagram into underscore spotlight on twitter and ryan where can people find you if they want to see your stuff the people can find my stuff on instagram at rye o'connor that is ry dot o-c-o-n-n-o-r and on twitter at ryan o'connor 08 nice and you can find me at morley kurt everywhere links in the show notes I just clicked something. All right. <laughs> that, was a, that, was, that was a fun episode. Thank you all to the listeners. We'll be back very soon. We will. Have a great day. Same, same to you, man. Take care. <laughs>